0: All right, so we are in Ephesians uh, chapter 4, and uh, I know um, kind of got started here last week, and we'll um, pick up a little bit there and spend most of our time on uh, verses 4 through 10. Beginning with verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling called. Um, as Daddy probably spoke last time, uh, there's the big shift in Ephesians from the first three chapters to the next, uh, or the last three chapters. And uh, this, therefore, I urge you to walk, is Paul's way of telling us, all right, I've been teaching you some stuff, and now I'm going to tell you what to do with that. So there's been, you know, theology and background and context and, and, and real teaching in these first three chapters, and now he's going to talk to us about that. And the big concept has to do with, um, if you had to think of a phrase to capture those first three chapters, what would that phrase be? Two words. First word, in Christ. Everything's about being in Christ. And um, uh, the. I guess, think about it this way. Part of what made the Jews, the Jews and, and them behaving in a kind of consistent way so that, you know, if were a Jew by the way you acted, there was they had all been given the law, right? And the law was a, a script, a, an, a list of instructions. Uh, here are the rules. Behave like this, right? Um, this is, uh, in some ways, kind of how we uh, train our children, okay? Behave like this. There's not a lot of um, explanation necessarily, except that here's our expectation, and, and here's how I want you to behave. Um As a Christian, Paul is saying, it's not really anymore behaving based on a set of rules. It's behaving based on a new, right? It's not based on the the guardrail, so to speak. It's based on who you are now. You're not the same person you were before. So you're going to act differently because you're different. Not because there's external pressure that's forcing you to act a certain way. Does that kind of make sense? Um, in essence, Paul's teaching about most of the Ephesians is who we are in Christ. What is our identity? What does it really mean to be a Christian? And this can this can be a big deal because. If you are trying to act like a Christian without the Holy Spirit in you, then that's frustration. That's rule following. That's rigidity. That's not how it's supposed to work. But when you you follow that calling, as it's talked about, because there's something different inside of you, then it's natural. It's fulfilling. It's wow! This is the way it's always supposed to have been. This is consistent with who I am. This is this is right, right? It feels like home now, right? All right. So that's kind of the the big transition. I think that's some of the big themes that that Paul is wanting us to understand. Um, when it says um, Worthy of the calling with which you have been called. You probably know that the word for church is, uh, in the Greek, is called ecclesia. You've heard that term, ekklesia? Uh, it's kind of the word we get ecclesiastical and that sort of thing. Um, it means called out. So the, the calling, the kaleo part, um, and then ekaleo is kind of the root verb. You can think of it almost like echo, so it's the calling sort of a thing. We're called out. So uh, we're called out of what we were and into something different. This calling, that's the calling. We're not... um, uh, I guess we've... In essence, when we receive the Holy Spirit, uh, now he's kind of calling us. Okay, all of you who are of, as it says... Uh, One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, you know, all those things. I'm calling you out because you're one now. You have the same Holy Spirit. So that's, again, another big theme. So let's look at, um, let's look at, uh, well, we'll just finish reading. Uh, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Verse 4, There is one body, and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So, you kind of get the idea that Paul's wanting to make a few points here, right? I mean, how many times did he use the word "call"? Um, we're, I'm, I'm call, you know, the, God calls us to Himself. We 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 saw this with we're saved by grace through faith, and that's not of ourselves. Even the faith to believe is the gift, right? That's uh, one of the big distinguishing uh, features of. Uh, Christianity and, and Evangelical and Protestantism uh, specifically, um, he calls us to himself, and then he calls us to something. There's a He wants us to do something now that we've been called. And then we have this big list of the ways that we can be united. And uh, commentators point out that you can break down this list, or you can group this list uh, in terms of how they relate to the different parts of the Trinity. So it says, "There's one body and one Spirit." So that would refer to the Holy Spirit, right? Um, it's it's the Holy Spirit that that makes us uh, one in that sense. And then it says in verse five, "One Lord, one faith, one baptism." So that has to do with our salvation, that Lord Christ This has to do with the second person of the Trinity, and then, of course, one God and Father over all, referring to God the Father. So, uh, and some commentators have said that maybe that sentence might have been one of those early Christian creeds that might have been very familiar, kind of a motto sort of thing that uh, Paul said, you know, you're called to to one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all who is... Overall and through all and in all, that may have been um, um, just a little brief doctrine that might have been taught um, as as one of the things that people would remember. So he's repeating that there, perhaps, Uh, but certainly wanting to make the point that um, you know there really isn't the division. You know, he talked so much about the Jews and Gentiles and everything; all that has gone away. We're called to something new, something different, and something that's going to be very inclusive based on that criteria of, of uh, being connected um, through the Holy Spirit. Uh, now, in verse 7, we get a transition uh, where he's going to talk about uh, spiritual gifts. And Of course, we talked about this um week before last. Verse 7, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And next week, we're going to talk more about spiritual gifts a little bit again. 7 um, really leads straight into verse 11, okay, where he talks about spiritual gifts. But uh, we're, we'll talk in more general terms and then pick up these kind of odd verses in um, verses 8 through, through 10. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So, what this means is that um, Christ gives us spiritual gifts. He gives us a gifts. And it says, according to the measure. In other words, um, Christ knows us. And he gives us gifts based on his judgment. Uh, all gifts are not the same. Uh, He doesn't give everyone the same gift. He doesn't necessarily give, even if two people have the same gift, there may be different emphasis, different flavors and colors to it. Uh, There may be uh, different strengths within that gift. It's all different. What comes to mind is, I don't know if, you know, sometimes in fairy tales, sometimes in fantasy and fiction, you often have... um, you know, maybe a king, or maybe some uh, learned person, or or whatever, and he gathers, you know, a few people close to himself, maybe, you know, he's in his dying days or something, and and gathers his children, perhaps, and says, okay, I'm going to give you uh, some things, and each one might be different, okay, you get my sword, and you get my, you know, books, and you get my lands, and, you know, and the The way the story usually goes is that the reason people give different gifts is because it's kind of in keeping with their bent, their personality, their strengths, and and that's you know there's some discernment there from the gift giver to the recipient. Um, So it's a special gift in that way, and and that's the picture I have in this phrase where it says according to the measure. Um, Certainly there are some gifts that we all get we all get the gift of the holy spirit we all get the benefit of fellowship with other believers in fact many of the spiritual blessings that paul has been talking about that we get in christ we share those but these specific gifts uh, for ministry and so forth very often and classically do differ um uh depending on what god thinks we need and uh, so that's um leads to some some applications, uh, as as we'll see. Um for example, uh, this would mean that you really wouldn't want to be jealous of somebody else's gifts. So, well, wow, I wish I could preach like that person, or I wish I had, you know, that person's openness with people and the way that they just seem to never meet a stranger or um uh, boy that, that person really, you know, is good with their finances and just everything they touch seems to work. And you know, we don't want to be jealous of other people's gifts. We want to develop our own gift. The um, spiritual gift inventory that we took is just kind of a, a way of, of maybe opening your eyes to, to what your gift might be. Ultimately, I think God and the Holy Spirit will confirm that gift uh, for you. Uh, and then it's our job to exercise that, develop it, use it, um, because then it grows, you know, like, like, any, like any gift. Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Okay, now, so now it gets kind of weird. <laughs> verse 8, therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. What the heck? So, so this is um, a citation from Psalm 68. Uh, it's a long psalm, and this is a verse right in the middle of it. And in the reading that I did, I've got this one book that talks about Every time in the New Testament a passage from the Old Testament is quoted, that's what this commentary is. That's all it does is if there's a verse in the New Testament, quoted in the Old Testament, it just talks about all the Old Testament context for that and why it was included. Peter, that usually clears things up really nicely for me says, this is the most difficult psalm to interpret of all the psalms. <laughs> I'm like, thank you for that. Uh, that was really helpful. But uh, so there were different opinions as to what does this mean? When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. So best I can tell, the imagery, talk about what it meant in the psalm and then maybe how Paul is applying it. Apparently the imagery here is um, a leader, a general, a captain of the army sort of person who has been victorious in battle and now is leading kind of the victory march and it might include people carrying the plunder from the battle it might include a chain of people who maybe were um, were people who had been captured side but now were recaptured in in other words these are their own people that were recaptured liberated from from the enemy and they all are in a train marching uh, upwards uh, to to victory so to speak and uh, leading this leading host of captives, those were his own folks who had been captives and now have been rescued. And uh, as part of that victory is now able to give gifts of plunder to whoever. So that's kind of the what it seems to have referred to back in the psalm. And then beginning of verse 9, Paul tries to apply that to, to his point here. And English Standard Version, um, it actually has all this in parentheses to kind of highlight the the point that this is referring back to um, verses 7 and 8. Verse 9, it says, In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Well, that just clears it right up, doesn't it? <laughs> um, again, again, uh, the big idea is, Christ has given us gifts, and that's what Paul is just trying to drive home the point. And so here it says he ascended. Well, there's a couple of things that that could mean. Uh, apparently, in when the psalm was originally written, one of the ways that people read the psalm was referring to Moses, where he had led the led the exodus, led the people out um, who had been captives, and led. Uh, led them into the, um, the wilderness, of course, and ultimately, uh, he ascended to uh, the mount, received the Ten Commandments, and then descended down to give the Ten Commandments. So, uh, Contextually, when the psalm was originally written, even though it was about battle, the hearers may have heard parts of Moses. And... In the New Testament, you might hear, okay, well, Jesus is the new Moses. He's the better Moses. He also led captives out of bondage and uh, you know, called together his group of people and uh, has now ascended uh, to his rightful place. So some people look at that as uh, Jesus being uh, the new and the better Moses. Um, in another sense, it says he ascended could refer, of course, to the fact that Jesus had ascended back to heaven. And then he descended into the lower regions. Um, And in verse 10, he who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. So clearly he's referring to Christ there. Uh, Where it gets a little muddy is what does it mean about Christ descending and then descending into the lower regions of the earth. Uh, Certainly, uh, Philippians 2, we have have this... um, Picture of Christ humbling himself to the point of a servant, um, and his descent certainly from heaven to earth was a big step down, uh, to say the least. And um, so that's certainly, you know, him humbling himself and, and descending in that sense. Uh, lower regions of the earth, we say, well, what does that mean? And some people have taken that to um, maybe it just means the earth, but this lower regions, let's see. People say, well, maybe that means um, into the grave and, um, and then ascending out of the grave. Uh, some people hear if you know this little disputed phrase from the Apostles' Creed about Christ descended into hell and, and that sort of thing, uh, some people hear this lower regions of the earth, that's where they, they put that, where Christ ascended as, uh, some people think, into Hades, which is not hell the way we think of it, but into this other place of, um, uh, of the grave, and and then um, preached uh, in a, in a fashion uh, or gave testimony in fashion for those three days while um, uh, between his death and his resurrection. Now, how many people are confused? I mean. Okay, I'm I'm holding my hand up. So it it is a little odd. Um, well, Art, that's, that's the way I when he to hell and, be, and, and let the devil know, he defeated So he was to be raised. So, yeah. And, and many people, you know, when you read this, uh, he descended into lower regions of the earth. That's what they hear. Now, I guess since I've opened this can of worms, I might as well... All right, yeah. All right, so Mom made the call. Um, Go to First Peter. Why did I do this? Go to First Peter, Chapter Four. Uh, Let's see. I'm sorry. 1 Peter chapter 3. So we've gone from one of the most difficult passages in all the Psalms to interpret to what most people agree is the most difficult passage in the entire New Testament to interpret. Okay, So just fair warning, um, there's a a lot of speculation here. And and let me just stop and say right here that um, one of the points of application I was going to make is that when Scripture is clear, we need to really focus on that and take it as clear. When Scripture is unclear, we need to treat it as if it's a little unclear, with a certain amount of humility, and anybody that gets super dogmatic about areas of Scripture that aren't really clear, they they have the risk of being out on a limb. They may be right, but they may not be as right as they think they are. So, where scripture is a little bit unclear that's not where you want to build a major doctrine on right you want to build your major doctrines on the places that are just rock solid and and totally clear and and you know paul says you know right now you know the glass is a little dark sometimes and and we're it's going to be clearer one day so just a lot of qualifiers about this passage all right so let's dive on in. I'm not sure why I got myself in this place. All right. So verse, um, verse for Christ also suffered once for our sins, the righteous for the unrighteous that he might bring us to in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Awesome. That's great. In which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was prepared in which a few that is eight persons were brought safely through the water. So, um, huh? this is 1 Peter 3, verses 18 through 20. So, here's, I mean, honestly, this gets a little odd, right? Um, talking about uh, Christ suffered once for sins for the righteous, he might bring us to God alive in the Spirit, in which he went, in the Spirit that is, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. Because they formally did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. So where is it else in Scripture that Jesus went to preach to people in the day, who were alive in the days of Noah and are now in prison? What's that all about? Um, so... I've heard people preach on this that there are as many as eight or ten interpretations about what this means. I'm not kidding. Okay? So let me tell you the one that kind of sounds, I don't know, I'm not sure it's any more plausible than any of the others, but it's the one that kind of seems to make general sense. In other words, you could totally not believe any of this and be on good ground. All right, but you know you got to you know you got this is confusing, and you got to come up with some sort of story that kind of seems to explain it, or you could just ignore it, which might actually be the better move. But so one one person I heard talk about this said, "Well, um, going back to Luke and the story of uh, Lazarus and you know the dead man and Lazarus, right?" So in the store, in the book of Luke, you've got Jesus telling a parable where um the rich man has died and is in torment, looks across the spanses I, I guess of time and says, You know, can you come down and, and quench my tongue and, and go tell my brothers, you know, you remember? Um so he's he's in Hades but still conscious and uh, anyway so one pastor said well when Jesus was in Hades in this middle kind of holding area before the final judgment you might say he was proclaiming his victory over death and his ultimate victory over the grave and telling his story to the people that were there who were maybe pre-Christian saints. But he was doing it in such a way as the people across the chasm, those who weren't saints, those who were disobedient and so forth, could hear his testimony and in essence hear his preaching. So in that way he's, but also preaching to the Ones that weren't saved in the days of Noah, um, as they were overhearing his testimony about the work that he had done.
1: Right. Right. That's
0: right. Right. So this this pasture pictures Jesus on the good side of the Gulf um, before he's resurrected and proclaiming what he's done and being overheard by those on the other side of the Gulf. Just as that scenario happened in the parable that Jesus taught. So so back to Ephesians. Do you think that if you don't use your
1: gift that God will take it away
0: from you? Uh, No. I don't.
1: Huh? You're just pretty much disappointing God then for not using your gift that he gave you. Or, I, mean...
0: Yeah, I, I mean, it's an interesting question. Uh, the, 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 the question was, um, if, if you don't use God's gift or if you abuse God's gift, would, would God take it away from you? Um, I don't have a scripture on that. Does anybody have an actual scripture on that? But I would say that that's typically not the way God does. right? I mean, he, he, he gives. It
1: seems to like or... Singing—that's a good. You have a good voice, or whatever, and you don't practice it, then you're not as good as you
0: were. Yeah, and I I think that's—I think that's—I think that's fair. Certainly, I think your gift can grow, and I think your your gift can, um, you might say, atrophy a bit. Um, But if we think if we think of the gift as—and it's hard to distinguish—you know, what's the difference between a gift and an aptitude, or a gift and a talent? Someone who, you know, there's tons of naturally gifted singers who aren't Christians. I mean, that's not the gift of the Holy Spirit. They just have that natural talent. What's the difference between those two? And, and does God maybe have someone with a natural aptitude to something and then give them extra gift to use that in some way? I'm not really sure. It's kind of blurry to me. But I think God does give gifts consistent in either how we're made or how he wants us to grow. And um, uh, you've heard stories about people who got saved and then maybe did get a, a, an aptitude that they never had before. You know, maybe all of a sudden someone is a great, gifted preacher and was formerly really shy or something. I mean, you've heard stories. Um, but um, I, think, I think that gift would still, would still be there, uh, waiting, for, uh, waiting to grow, so to speak. I
1: think the Holy Spirit...
0: Well, I mean you know what you need to be doing and when you don't, I
1: think the Spirit work with like Robbie
0: said. Well, that gets back to our identity, right? I mean, part of our identity is, you know, who am I? What what am I here for? Right? So if you're exercising that gift, you start to get a sense, okay, well, this is why I'm here. This is how God's using me and that enhances your identity. So it's a give and take, um, We're told that we can kind of, we can quench, so to speak, the work of the Holy Spirit. Right? We can ignore the Holy Spirit, but yet at the same time, the Holy Spirit does prompt us and convict us of sin. Uh, So there's a kind of a a two-way street there. Good question. What else?
1: Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all, all means all, so that includes,
0: you know, he's, he's got control over captives and the, and the whole picture that follows that. Yeah, certainly we hear echoes of kind of the sovereignty of God, which were really hard in those first uh, verses of uh, the first chapter of Ephesians. Um That ultimately we are part, we are all part of, of god's plan uh, for sure. Um, I think that um, you know the big idea here is that we are we are um, in receipt of a, of a new nature as as we know uh, once we're Christians, and we have different motivations, we have different. Gifts, we have different um, and new identities. And the more we embrace that new identity that we've been given in Christ, the more we're going to feel right, right? The more we're going to feel at home, the more we're going to feel like this is where I'm supposed to be. One of the struggles nowadays, and you can see this in all the self-help books that are out there, is people don't know who they are. Or why they're here. And, you know, so it's it's like Ecclesiastes all over again, right? Everybody's searching for, you know, all the, the different things in the world. You know, power and fame and money. And you can tell they're not really happy because they don't know who they are. And so I think this, I see in this passage uh, kind of the, the double story. Who we are collectively as a group of believers who are unified in the spirit, but then who we are as individuals that can, uh, can serve a purpose in this in this body. Good discussion, Karen. Yeah, so I think that's pastors' license. <laughs> okay. Yeah, um, you're you're yeah. right. I was not going to bring that up, but
1: <laughs>
0: um, that in in Psalm sixty-eight it it says that he received gifts, and then in in as Paul quotes it, it says and he gave gifts to men. And likely, you know, maybe both were true, perhaps. But yeah, I think part of that's. Um, Paul's making a reference, you know, um, like if you'll hear um, politicians, for example, they'll just make a reference to 9-11, right? So because that's something collectively, everybody knows all that happens in 9-11, it brings to mind certain things. It brings to mind destruction and innocence and terrorism and uh, death and recovery, and it brings to mind all those things. So. You, a quick reference can call to mind a lot of imagery and i think that's what's happening here he's making a quick reference to a psalm that probably would have been familiar at least to the jews in the congregation about this victorious leader um, who's going to bestow benefits on on his uh, uh, followers and i think that's the imagery he's trying to con- good question i
1: think we need to be careful not just I brought up last week that I don't know if it was last week or one time, but anyway, just like we were born with natural abilities, when we were born again, God gave us these gifts, and they're not the same. That that Romans tells us tells us we have these seven motivational gifts. Uh, and I think going back to Mike and, and Robbie's question, if we have been given the prop the gift of prophecy, we can't help it. You know, and we'll have to do it. We'll have to exercise that gift. If we've been given the gift of mercy, Delta can't help it. That's just what she is, you know, it's just, it's just that way. And those gifts I think are just like you know. God gave them to you, and, and you go with it. Now, there are some other manifestations, you know, that we never have gone too much on, like healings, you know, the gift of tongues, uh, that type of thing. But the manifestation, the, the, the gifts that make us who we are, we can't help it. God gave it to us. It's part of who we are, and salvation, and we're gonna do it, or that's gonna mold us the way we, we are. Now back to Hart's point about, about uh, I'd like to skip this scripture. <laughs> that's the difference with us teaching and taking a verse by, by verse, and a preacher stand taking a topic. He can pick his topics, we can't skip the verses. We got to come up with something, even if it's I don't know, and and that's a lot of and a lot of times exactly what it is because. And like Art mentioned, we read these commentaries and and we try to follow these things. And very common, the very verse that I need help on, they they don't do anything about it. True, and and it's it's those, but scripture is scripture, and and. Uh, and I've been reading through the Bible. we got through Leviticus, and I thought we were through with the, with all the, the, the feast and the sacrifice, and we're getting the to, to, to numbers, and it's the same thing. And every time I get through reading some of that thing, I said, "Thank God for grace." Yeah. <laughs> Thank God for grace. You know that we don't have to go through all all this stuff.
0: I would have been a horrible. <laughs> uh, I mean. Um, I'll have been attributed to Yogi Berra. A lot of quotes have been attributed to Mark Twain. Um, the Mark Twain quote, of course, that's applicable here, if, it, if he even said it, was, you know, it's not the parts of the Bible I don't understand that bother me. It's the parts of the Bible I do understand. Yeah. And uh, I think that's, you know, you major on the major things. Yeah. <coughs> All right, we better quit. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you even for the words we don't understand. Maybe that increases our humility. And our openness to be led. We thank you for your spirit that binds us together. We thank you for our salvation in Christ. And it's in Christ's name I pray. If you
1: filled out one of those forms, give it to me. Yes, <laughs>